Oral questions by members? Member for Peace River South. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, frustra frustration and anger uh, is building as people grapple with the impacts of this NDP government's neglect and failed forestry policies. Despite, despite the NDP promising in 2017 that there would never be a mill shut down under their watch, mills are actually closing or being curtailed right across this province right now. I'm now being also told that BC Timber Sales has not had a sale for over 450 days and counting. More proof that this Premier has actually no intention of supporting the forestry sector or the tens of thousands of jobs in the forest, that forestry families depend on here in British Columbia. So to the Premier, how many more forestry-dependent families are going to lose their jobs because of this NDP's delays and failed policies? Minister of Jobs, Economic Development and Innovation. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member opposite for the question. And the first thing I'd like to say is that I, I very much am thinking about those workers who've been impacted by mill curtailment. And I'll share with the House, Mr. Speaker, that I grew up in a forestry family. And I remember, I remember what it was like in the early 80s, living in the Nanaimo, when we had a mill curtailment at Harmac. It impacts individuals, it impacts families, and it impacts communities. And it's so important that we're there for workers. And we are, Mr. Speaker. There are a number of supports we put in place in the circumstance of mill curtailment. And we have workers on the ground doing that work, Mr. Speaker. It's an opportunity for us to ensure that folks land on their feet. We've got a number of programs that are immediate and some that are long-term, and both of those supports are being put in place currently, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Minister. Peace River South. Uh, well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. That answers cold comfort to the families that are having a hard time putting food on the table right now because of mill closures and curtailments in British Columbia. The closure of Aspen Planers in Merritt since last year has left workers without a job and a community in shock. Brian Halford, the chair of the local United Steelworkers Union, says there are permit applications sitting with this government right now for over a year that can be approved to put their workers back to work. Instead of doing his job, though, and approving permits, the Minister of Forests actually blundered in a recent interview by saying, and I quote, in merit, I think the Weyerhaeuser sawmill is operating as normal, end quote. Here's the problem. There is no Weyerhaeuser mill in merit. In fact, it closed in the 1990s under the NDP government. So again, to the Premier, how many more forest-dependent communities and families are going to suffer before this Premier starts doing his job, approving permits, and letting these mills open and get families back to work where they want to be. Minister of Jobs. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member opposite for the question. We know getting workers working is the most important thing, Mr. Speaker. These workers matter to us deeply. When workers in the regions in British Columbia aren't working, British Columbia is not working, Mr. Speaker, and we know that. We have a number of programs we put in place. Let me tell you about 
the Manufacturing Jobs Fund, Mr. Speaker, $180 million, Mr. Speaker, to drive well-paying manufacturing jobs into the regions, Mr. Speaker. We know that we need, we need value-added jobs, Mr. Speaker. The other side talked about it for years. We're doing that work. Let me share with the member opposite an example of what that can look like. The Premier and myself and one of our colleagues went to Crofton recently, Mr. Speaker. This is a great example of what value-add can look like. Crofton Mill lost over 100 workers, Mr. Speaker, but our side of the House, we worked with that private sector company to ensure that they transitioned to value-add. They're now creating restaurant supplies that replace single-use plastics, Mr. Speaker. And I will tell the member on the other side of the House that every single one of those 100 employees are back working, Mr. Speaker. Member for Kamloops North Thompson. Well, well thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, well, merit's a long way from Crofton. And the questions are about merit. And what merit needs, the support they need from this government, they need timber sales and they actually need permits so they can access fiber. They don't want to change careers. They're generational, multi-generational loggers and multi-generational mill workers that want to stay employed in the forest sector. That's what this government seems to be disconnected with. Forestry workers and contractors, they've been rallying in downtown Merritt and outside many ministry offices, demanding immediate action. Shelley Stewart is a First Nations logging contractor and is just one of many that wants to get back to work. Under this NDP government, however, she has no work and she's had to lay off her crew of 30 people. She says, and I quote, the permit delays are just one example of how the NDP government is ignoring the little guy. Their inaction is holding us back and hurting small businesses like mine, and that includes First Nations forestry operations. It's time for them to prioritize our livelihoods. It's time for the Premier to start taking some accountability for this. They are failing miserably in getting permits approved. When will the logjam of permitting break? Minister of Jobs. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the member opposite for the question. Everyone agrees that we need to move past the boom and bust cycles that are too often leaving forestry workers and communities behind. And that's why we're making important investments. I'll share one with the member opposite. BC Timber Sales where we just launched a new program that will provide dedicated access to timber and accelerate the growth of value-added manufacturing. And what are people saying about that, Mr. Speaker? Members, order. Let's hear not my thoughts, but Joe Namath of Pulp and Paper Coalition, who said on January 19th, in regards to timber supply, this is a major positive step towards resolving the single biggest issue BC forest sector is facing, lack of economic fibre. It's supported by the work of government and industry, and they've completed since the fall of last year through the Pulp Fibers Supply Force, Mr. Speaker. We understand these issues, and we're addressing them.
Kamloops North Thompson. Thank you. Well, well, perhaps the government didn't hear my colleague's first question where he pointed out it's been 450 plus days since BC Timber Sales has sold anything. So there isn't any sales happening with BC Timber Sales. The reality is this government's inaction is having devastating impact on all logging contractors out there, including First Nations contractors like Shelley Stewart. This is the time of year that they need to be logging to pay the bills. When Shelley and her crew are working, that means $200,000 a month in the Merritt area are going to fuel suppliers, suppliers like Lordco and other parts stores to keep their operations running. But not only is that crew of 30 not working, it impacts all of those suppliers in their workforce as well. And what do we get from this government? Excuses and dragging of feet. Shelley says, and I quote, it's a slap in the face that the NDP government is putting the brakes on forestry in this province. Their actions are coming at the expense of logging contractors like mine. This government needs to do their job so we can do ours, end quote. And I'll point out that in this year's budget, the revenue projections are the same as last year, a billion dollar decline. This government set for the last 12 months doing nothing to help forestry, expecting a drop in revenues like that. So in Merritt on March 17th, there's Question going to be member. a big rally protesting this, trying to get action from the government. I know the government members routinely member? like to go to protest rallies. So, will anyone, will any minister in this government commit to being in Merritt on March 17th to meet these people face to face and look them in the eye and tell them they're actually doing all they can do to actually get their mills reopened again? Minister for Jobs, Economic Development and Innovation. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We know that there are significant economic headwinds that the forestry sector is faced with today. The beetle kill, forest fires, softening of timber sales in the U.S., just to name a few, Mr. Speaker. But let me be very clear. This side of the House has nothing to learn about the forestry sector from that side of the House. government completely abandoned workers. They saw nearly 30,000 forestry jobs disappear under their watch, Mr. Speaker. Here, chirping on the other side, the member may not want to believe this, but don't take my word for it. These numbers come directly from Statistics Canada. In 2021, when they came to power, the forestry sector, pardon me, 2001, when, the for when they came to power, the forestry sector provided good family-supporting jobs to 85,000 workers in British Columbia. By the time they were done, there were 56,000 jobs left in the forestry sector, Mr. Speaker. These are the facts. Leader, members, we will listen to the question, we will listen to the answer. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. In 2021, BC had the largest mass casualty event caused by weather. 619 British Columbians died from heat-related deaths during the heat dome of 2021. Many of them were elderly, women, and many were disabled and poor. This government promised to look into providing air conditioners as medical devices during extreme heat events. And now they're three months late on their deadline to even announce their plans. My question, Honourable Speaker, is to the Premier. 
Will he ensure that British Columbians have air conditioners which are necessary life-saving devices during heat waves? Minister of Health. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. As, uh, as the member will know, we've taken a substantial action in response to uh, the circumstances of the heat dome. Honourable Speaker, the member will know that includes the launching of the BC Heat Alert and Response System, the release of the preparedness guide, the supporting of local authorities and First Nations by creating an extreme heat funding stream under the Community Emergency Preparedness Act and providing guidance and funds for local authorities to, to open cooling centres as well. We're reviewing along my ministry and the Ministry of Social Development is, is reviewing the very issues raised by the Honourable Member. These, this is substantial action in addition to the very significant action that's taken place in BC's emergency health services. We're going to continue to do so. I would be happy to, uh, to meet with the Honourable Member on this question to discuss the progress that we've made. Leader of the third party. Not more uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, substantial action is actually what Oregon did. After the devastating hit do heat dome hit Oregon, the very next summer the government provided air conditioning units to low-income housing. Heat alerts, preparedness guides, guidance and funds are important, but when there is another heat wave or a heat dome for people who don't have the ability to cool the air in their housing units and don't have the ability to get somewhere that is cool, that will be cold comfort. My question again is to the Premier. What has the Premier learned from the 2021 heat dome, and how will this government act differently to prevent mass, mass casualties in the future? Minister of Health. Well, thank you. And my colleague, uh, the Minister of uh, Social Development, myself, are working and are focused on this uh, important issue. Uh, the member will know that in times of crisis, crisis supplements are available to people. In addition to that, Honourable Speaker, we're taking systematic action, Honourable Speaker, across a range of issues that I detailed to the Honourable Member earlier, including the issue that she has raised. These are fundamental issues that involve action for people, that's crisis supplements, and direct supports to local governments and organizations and others to ensure that cooling stations and other things are in place. Uh, action across the range of, uh, of health services, but also broader services than that. In communities, uh, in communities, that will mean, I think, working closely with local governments to support uh, all communities, especially communities that require, for example, supports with respect to, uh, to uh, greening uh, neighbourhoods in communities. This is an issue uh, that the government, especially the Ministry of Social Development and the Ministry of Health, are working very closely on. And I look forward to continuing to work with all members of the House on this vital question to all British Columbians. Thank you, Minister. <coughs> Member for Abbotsford West. Uh, thanks, Mr. Speaker. Well, if you're uh, looking to take a bus uh, today in Abbotsford, Mission, Chilliwack, or Hope, or the Fraser Valley connector that connects those communities, I'm afraid you're out of luck. There are significant disruptions taking place if you're one of the people or families that can't afford to pay the highest gas prices in North America, uh, your ability to get to work, to get to school, or to get to a medical appointment 
uh, has now been uh, disrupted by job action. That's the situation facing Samranjit Singh. He's a student, stuck at home, can't get the classes. Last year, the government sat back and let a transit dispute on the Sea to Sky corridor go on for months and months and months, compromising people's uh, ability to get to work, get to school, or get to medical appointments. Is the government going to sit idly by once again uh, while this dispute continues? Or will the Premier step in and ensure that people in the eastern, central and eastern Fraser Valley have the transit services they require? And if they need legal advice on the matter, they can ask one of the late lawyers that's gathering outside this afternoon in protest <laughs> the, the other uh, labour fiasco that the government is dealing with right now. Minister of Labour. Thank you. Mr. Speaker, I'm fully aware of the situation that the member is describing, uh, a situation between the First Transit and uh, QP Local 561, where the workers have decided to exercise their right to withdraw their services, which is allowed under the Labour Code. This is a normal bargaining process. And I want to make it clear that this side of the House believe and support free collective bargaining in this province. And Mr. Speaker, as such, members, as such, Mr. Speaker, we must, we must respect the integrity of a free collective bargaining. And, and, and Mr. Speaker, and a member knows fully well, the best collective agreement is negotiated at the bargaining table, not in this house, not outside here. Mr. Speaker, I encourage both parties to get back to the bargaining table. They have withdrawn their services for three days, I'm advised, and they are scheduled to go back to the bargaining table next week. And I encourage them to stay at the bargaining table at, you know, until their collective agreement is negotiated. Member for Vancouver, Langara. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, uh, in view of the uh, Minister of Labour's last response and hiding behind uh, negotiations here, let's talk about another set of negotiations. BC government lawyers are out in front of the Legislative Assembly today on legislature lawns protesting as negotiations have broken down. And the NDP only have themselves to blame because they started off in bad faith trying to force the lawyers to join a union that they didn't want to join. We've heard this story before with the NDP's community rip-off agreements. You can only work on government projects if you join an NDP-approved union. It's hypocritical and it's wrong. Whether Whether the NDP are shutting down Indigenous contractors like John Coleman of the Akawachan tribes on public infrastructure projects or shutting lawyers out of negotiations. It's clear the NDP don't want to play by their own rules. As Gareth Morley says, quote, we want to talk to the government, but we're not going to agree to a bill that takes away the ability of our members to decide what union they want to apply to, end quote. It's clear 
that the NDP are playing politics instead of negotiating in good faith. When will the NDP drop their hypocrisy and work with the BC GLA to end this dispute? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the member for the question. And we continue to support the BC Government uh, Lawyers Association right to association, the right to collective bargain. Uh, the Members. legislation that Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The legislation that we table, it creates a space for the association to bargain within the existing structure of the public sector. But it's important to note that we're not requiring them to do so. Uh, the legislation offers the benefit of component agreement, which they will be able to use to negotiate for their own unique needs within the public service. It's entirely up to the association if they would like to join. If the, BC, uh, if the association wants to challenge the Public Service Ra Labour Relations Act and the designated bargaining unit model, government is prepared to fully participate and to jointly take the, all, the all of the available steps to expedite the proceedings that have been adjourned. Let's listen to the answer as we listen to the question. Opposition House Leader. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, despite all the talk and big promises from the Premier, uh, families are in for another rude and cruel awakening this Sunday. It's deja vu all over again. Yes, it's that least wonderful time of the year yet again when we all lose one hour of precious sleep because the Premier couldn't get the job done. We all, we all know, we all know. Members, members, some order, please. Thank you. The member for Kamloops, South Thompson, has the, the floor. The Premier could not get the job done. We all know that there is nothing the Premier loves more than making big, flashy announcements. But when it comes to results, he's all talk and no clock. Instead of springing forward, instead of springing forward to act on permanent daylight savings time, the Premier is falling back on tired excuses. Mr. Speaker. It's time, it's time to wake up and smell the coffee. Is the Premier going to deliver real change or is he going to keep sleeping on the job? Government House Leader. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I can assure this member that no one in this House wants to see him under with one hour less of sleep. Uh, <laughs> Honourable Speaker, uh, you know, we know this is uh, an important issue for many families. Uh, certainly I know uh, when my son was uh, younger, uh, having that shift was a real challenge to adjust times. We want to make sure that this gets done right. We want to make sure that it's aligned with our jurisdictions on the West Coast. We want to make sure that our business communities engage and understands the implications of what this means. We're doing that work. We certainly hope that California, which is in the process of moving this direction, goes in that direction so that we all can move collectively. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Premier has been all over the map when it comes to the mess in Surrey regarding policing. And the results? They're terrible. First, the NDP recklessly approved the transition study, the transition, without actually doing a proper 
uh, feasibility study. Then they delayed, they dragged their feet on making any kind of decision while residents of Surrey are faced with the massive tax increase the, the biggest the city's ever faced. And to add to the confusion, the Premier is now refusing to confirm whether infrastructure funding can be used to mitigate the NDP tax hike. So when we say this, we say we have one minister saying one thing, probably, yes, they can use that money. And then we have the Premier now saying, probably no. So which is it? This Premier is still flip-flopping and the residents of Surrey are paying the price. Will he take responsibility for the escalating costs and end this uncertainty now? Government House Leader. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, I know this uh, issue has been canvassed uh, at great length in this House. Uh, right now, uh, the Solicitor General's Office is reviewing uh, the information that's been provided to make a, a thoughtful decision on uh, how we proceed. Uh, I know this side of the House is very proud of the $1 billion that are going to communities throughout this province. <laughs> I appreciate the member across the way uh, is excited to find ways to spend the money he didn't support, he didn't actually vote for, Honourable Speaker. Now, the City of Surrey has uh, themselves indicated that uh, the taxation rate that they uh, initially put out uh, is, uh, is coming down. We encourage them to continue to find ways to refine their numbers, to give the public a, a correct uh, justification of what they see as the pressures they're facing. Honourable Speaker, the infrastructure dollars are there. We have continued to have conversations with Surrey about how we can continue to support the many infrastructure needs that they have. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. One of the very first promises made by this Premier after a man was murdered last year was to put an end to tent cities. But the province has now spent three quarters of a million dollars towards Crab Park to make the tent city there permanent instead of spending that money on getting these campers into real homes. Permanent tent cities have become the norm for this Premier, as evidenced by his personal intervention as Attorney General um, uh, when he sued to allow permanent tent cities at Beacon Hill Park. But the Premier recently suffered a, a humiliating setback in court at the BC Court of Appeal when they said no, he could not do that. So why is this Premier fighting for permanent tent cities instead of delivering the results that he has promised? Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, uh, and I thank the member for the question. Honourable Speaker, uh, we have said many times, the Premier has said many times, and I'll reiterate this right now, that we believe that the encampments are not safe for the people that are living in the encampments, and they're not safe for the community at large. We are working actively with our partners to find ways to get people into housing, get them out of the encampments, and that is our goal. The member mentioned uh, Crab Park. Uh, you know, we provided dollars to the City of Vancouver to uh, support the community. They chose to have dollars available for uh, providing sanitary services and other services for some of the folks that are at Crab Park. Uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, I, I remind the member, and I know the member knows this, that these are these are our loved ones. These are people's sons, they're people's daughters, uh, and they have needs, they have supports that we must provide them. And, and I know that it's not necessarily a comfortable place always for the, the opposition, Honourable Speaker. The, the, uh, the, um, the par party president, the BC Liberal Party president, is on the record as saying 
when he's talking about the most vulnerable people in this province. He says, we should focus on the 60% and essentially not bother with some demographics that will not likely or absolutely never support us, you know, like homeless people or those that are dependent on social services, Honourable Speaker. This is the president of the BC Liberal Party, Honourable Speaker. And so uh, we're going to continue to do what we need to do to ensure that people that are in encampments have the supports they need, get them in the housing, get them out of encampments, because we know that's the best way forward. Thank you, Minister. Member for Surrey South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The latest overdose figures released by the coroner's office are devastating. The death rate in British Columbia has doubled since the public health emergency was declared in 2016. But instead of doubling our response to this crisis, the government has doubled delays. The Clark and First Avenue Housing Treatment Project in Vancouver was announced by this government in 2018. As advocate Guy Felicella says, quote, it's vital to have this facility up and running. This facility has become emblematic of the NDP's slow and deadly response to a crisis that is now claiming seven lives a day. But as is so often the case with this government, it was merely an announcement that resulted in nothing. The NDP budget confirmed the cost is up 400% and is delayed further until 2026. You know, you know that that's unacceptable when seven people are losing their lives every day. So how can the Premier justify these delays when timely and effective treatment and recovery options are urgently needed now? Government House Leader. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and um, uh, certainly uh, this side of the House knows that these services are needed uh, urgently. Uh, the, the site in particular that's being referenced uh, was uh, in the process of the City of Vancouver. The City uh, made some changes to their bylaws, uh, which required uh, further changes to the project, um, and, uh, and that work is, being, is happening right now with the City of Vancouver to make sure that we can adjust the, the project to fit within the changing bylaws that they've, uh, the laws that they've changed. Uh, we expect construction to start this fall. Bell ends question period.